0: joy to be with you this morning as we continue in worship and go to God's Word. I pray that you're doing well this morning and that you came ready to sit and to listen and to engage God's Word at this time. We just finished up a series called First Things First, where we received a challenge to keep our heads up, to focus on things that are eternal and heavenly and not temporal and earthly, to live with our palms down. To live a life in 2017 trusting God, making Him our one master, uh, not allowing uh, uh, anxiety and worry to control our lives. And then we looked at living with wholehearted devotion is called to give our heart, our whole heart to the Lord, uh, believing and knowing that He is for us and that He is good. Well, now we want to step back into the book of Acts and continue our our series uh, uh, in the book of Acts. And before we uh, dive into Acts chapter 14, I just kind of want to do a review over some of the themes that we are focusing on in the book of Acts. The first theme that... Uh, that we see throughout the book is the theme of authority. In Acts chapter 1, 8, we read, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this is looking at Christ, how he calls us to be his witnesses, and he gives us his authority. That because we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus, um, he has sent us, he lived, he died, he, he re- was raised from the dead, and now he sends his church out into the world under his authority. But not only authority, we also have an assignment, as I said, to be his witnesses. Um, Acts 4.13 says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So throughout the book of Acts, we're reminded of this assignment to be God's witnesses, and we embrace our identity in Christ as ordinary people who are called to do extraordinary things. We're on assignment, whether we're at home or at work or with family members or wherever we are in the city, we live as those who are on assignment for Christ And and we do that from being renewed by Jesus. We do that because we've spent time with Jesus. Uh, Third is assistance. John 14, 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. And we see in the book of Acts chapter one, this promise to the disciples that the Holy Spirit was going to come and to empower them for mission so, we are reminded of this Paraclete, this Helper who helps us to fulfill this assignment, who helps us to go out with authority. That this is not something we muster up in our own energy, but as uh, disciples of Jesus Christ, we are empowered by Spirit. And then finally, this theme of abundance, this theme of abundance. Throughout the book of Acts, over 20 times, we see the words, and the church grew, and the church grew, and the church grew. Acts 20, 12 24, but the word of God continued to spread and to flourish. Acts 13, 48-49, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Acts 14.1, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. So this is a theme of abundance throughout the book of Acts, that the church is on the move, the church is on the go, we're sowing seeds and we're seeing a harvest, we're reaping a harvest, but the truth is that even through this abundance, that suffering is present. In fact, in most of the verses that we read about the church growing just before that or just after that, we see that the church is persecuted, that the church is is going through hard times. So this abundance isn't a promise to us that we won't suffer. This abundance isn't a promise to us that things won't be hard, but what this abundance is is that those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ, that through this abundance we can have a buoyancy, We we can have a joy. We can have a delight that when the seas of suffering come, we can float and not drown because we know that Christ is with us and that he is sending us out on mission. So if you could send to your feet, we're going to dive into Acts chapter 14 and we're going to look at verses 18, 18 through 22. I want to look at in the midst of this abundance, in the midst of God's mission, how we're going to face suffering. And how the Lord empowers us to continue this mission. The precious word of God reads, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derbe. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for allowing us to be here Together as a family to worship your son Jesus. We pray for those who not, are not a part of your family. I pray, Lord, that you would allow them to get a clear picture of Christians and our call and how we're called to suffer. I pray that you allow a seed to be sown or a word to be said, Lord, that will draw them to you. Your word says in John 3 if this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to go from just believing. To knowing. Help us, Lord, to get out of our heads and, and to be more in tune with our hearts to, to actually know, to experience your Son Jesus Christ. In Christ's name, amen. Maybe seated. So we see in the book of Acts, um, in chapter 13, verse 2 and 3, that the Apostle Paul. Along with Barnabas, they are sent out on mission from the church of Antioch. We read, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them out. And after chapter 13, we see that as they're sent out, And as they're going various places doing ministry, that they are having some success. We see a sorcerer come to faith in Christ. We see uh, the fruit of their labor coming into fruition. And then we get into chapter eight and uh, through 20, and we see that Paul and Barnabas go to a place called Lystra, and while they're there preaching, they see a man, and as they're preaching, they look upon this man's face who um, is, is crippled, and they, they pray for him. They, they see that he has faith, that he is receptive to the Lord, and the Lord heals him. The Lord miraculously heals this man, and Lystra, this town, goes bananas. They go crazy. I'm talking about cray-cray. They get all excited, and they... You say, man, these, this must be Zeus and Hermes. These are Greek gods in our presence. So they attempt to make sacrifices to them and to build these altars because they're so convinced that these are Greek gods that are in their presence. Then we read Paul trying to calm them down like, yo, calm down. He says, friends, why are you doing this? We are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So they are begging uh, these people to not worship them. They say, we are human beings just like you are. It is God who does this. So up until verse 17, we see uh, that we can kind of summarize the Apostle Paul's message to two things. One, he's saying, Um, Listen, uh, it is God who has done these things. Look to God. Uh, He points to general revelation, to the the things that God has created. He says, look to God. Don't look to us. But the second thing uh, that, that he reminds us is this, is that we should never allow praise to go to our head. We are conduits. We are vessels. We are God's people. And the praise of man is not what satisfies us, and we should never let it go to our head. Now, verses 18 through 22, there's another mantra that I think is really important, and it's this. While we are not to let praise go to our head, we cannot let suffering shatter our hearts. We can't let praise go to our head, and we cannot allow suffering to shatter our hearts. So when God brings suffering into our lives or allows it to come into our life, we have to realize that Satan wants to make us bitter, but God wants to make us better. And the Lord is calling us to have Christian buoyancy. He is calling us to float on the sea, in, in the midst of a sea and a storm. He's calling us not to, to sink, to, to not go underneath, but rather to float. And the way that we float is because we are anchored in Christ. We don't allow our sufferings to define us. We don't allow our trials to become our identity. We remember that our identity is in Jesus Christ and that there is something more weightier than the things that we are going through. There's something far more weightier. And that's what we read. The Apostle Paul uh, lets us know this. When he says this to the Church of Corinthians, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an etor- eternal glory that far outweighs them all the sufferings that we go to they seem heavy um, and they they are in a very real way but Paul is saying in light of the glory that we one day will receive they're not heavy at all and as a result of this truth as a result of the glory that we have in Christ we can be buoyant we we can float in the midst of our storm and not sink. Well, Paul, in this text, is going to show us exactly what that looks like. In verse 18, it says that even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. So see this picture, this, this great miracle has just been done. Uh, this crowd wants to make sacrifices to them and treat them as gods. Paul is in the middle of preaching and he is cut off by the crowd. In verse 19, it says, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Now, this this is a drastic change. In verse 18, he's trying to calm the crowd down from worshiping him. In verse 19, he is being stoned by the same crowd. I mean, what a change. I mean, he goes from being a rock star to being stoned. Well, you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> and I just see this, this picture of, of Paul just like, what in the world has happened? One second you want to build an altar, the next second you guys are saying, kill him. Off with his head. And, and we see that that's oftentimes the Christian ministry. Sometimes we have a, a high-end ministry where we see success, and the next second we're laid on our back saying, what in the world is going on? And I love how the text says that uh, after Paul is stoned that a large group of disciples, they kind of gather around him. And the text doesn't say what they're doing when they gather around him, but for some reason in my head, I got two, vis- two pictures. The first is a picture of like Rocky. And, uh, and his trainer, you know, Mickey, remember that scene in Rocky where he's giving Rocky this pep talk? He's like, get up, you bum. You know, I just see all the disciples around Paul just encouraging him, get up, man, get up. You can get up. You can get up. Um, then there's another movie called Friday, which I do not encourage you to watch if you've never seen it. <laughs> but if you have, uh, let, me, let me tell you about this scene. There's a guy named Craig. He's kind of the star of the story, and he fights this neighborhood bully named Debo. And Debo gets the first lick and knocks him down. And all of his family kind of comes around Craig and they're saying, get up, Craig. You can do it. Get up, Craig. You can do it. Anyway, that's how I picture Paul in this scene. He's kind of knocked on his back and all his boys are around him saying, get up, Paul. You can get up. You can do this. And then in verse 21, we read that he does. He gets up and it says, and they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. So they go to Derby. They get up. He goes back into the city, actually, and then he goes back out on the mission field, and then he has great success. Once again, we see this abundance of success. Many people are made disciples. Then they return to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. And When I was reading this this week, I had to read that over like five times because it was so shocking that after going to Derby and getting away from Lystra, he ends up going back into the same city that he was almost stoned to death in. Let that sink in. This is a real person who lived. This is a historical event. This is a man who's just had the pulp be out of him. And now he goes right back to the same people in the same place. And when he goes back, what's his message? Well, the Bible says in verse 22, he's strengthening the disciples and he's encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Wow. And he says, we must go through many hardships to enter into the kingdom of God. So Paul goes through this deep, dark hardship of being stoned. He gets encouragement. He gets back up. He goes back on a mission field. Then he comes back to Lystra, back to Iconium, and back to Antioch. You see a little map in your uh, bulletin. You can go back home and kind of look at the way that he traveled. This is his first missionary journey, but he goes back into the fire. And all week, all I could do is ask myself the question, how is this possible? How does Paul have this tenacity this buoyancy, to not give up? How is he stoned the way that he's stoned and discouraged and faced all these discouraging obstacles, and how does he keep going back? And then I, I remembered that throughout his letters, he wrote 13 letters, that throughout his letters, he lays out for us just a robust vision of suffering, a robust, a robust uh, uh, picture of suffering, of what it means to suffer for Christ, and I believe that that's the key in us having Christian buoyancy in the midst of hardships, in the midst of suffering, and us having joy and delight, and us not sinking. It's, it's first having an understanding of Christian suffering. Um, but second, we'll see that it's also understanding how how loved we are in Christ that keeps us. This understanding for Paul starts in Acts chapter nine verse. 15, when Ananias comes to Paul, uh, who is Saul at the the moment after his conversion, he says this, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. That's his assignment, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and to Israel. Verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That's the first thing we want to look at as we talk about suffering, as many of us are suffering, as we get a framework for suffering is this, suffering is predictable. Suffering is predictable. In other words, it's inevitable. It comes with the territory. And Some of you are suffering greatly right now, and all of us, we will suffer. As the great Adis go, either you are in a storm, you're headed towards a storm, or you're just coming out of a storm, but storms are going to come. The sea is going to come. It is going to try to overtake you and drown you. And and we want to ground ourselves in the fact that that just like Paul, suffering is going to come to us. He says, we must go through many hardships in order to enter into the kingdom of God. We must. In James chapter 1, verse 2, James says, Clown it all, joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Suffering is predictable. We all will suffer. We all will go through. Peter says, uh, uh, Do not be surprised by the fiery trial when it comes. And some of us, we really struggle in times of suffering and we become so off balance, not even by just the big things, even the little things of life. And, and a lot of times it's because we, we don't understand that it's predictable, that it's promised, that it's inevitable, that it comes with the territory of being human. But even more so, it comes with the territory of being on mission for Jesus. Second, suffering is painful and perplexing. Suffering, when it comes, it brings physical, emotional, and spiritual pain. It is hard. It is rarely easy. And regardless of the principles that we know and the framework that we know about suffering, when it comes, it hits and it hurts but listen, it hit and it hurt the apostle Paul. When Paul was beat and he was stoned, he probably had physical damage done to his body as well as emotional things that he had to work through. I mean, a crowd was just cheering for him. and just a matter of moments, they turn on him and they're beating him like Jesus. They yell, Hosanna, one second and the next crucify him. And when suffering comes our way, it it often catches us off guard and it often leaves us in a state of being perplexed. But listen to the Apostle Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. This is amazing to me. This is the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he says about his suffering. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we are experiencing in the province of Asia. We are under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself indeed we felt we had received a de- a sentence of death this is the apostle paul saying suffering came and it caught us off guard it got us to the point of despair even to the point of death and you know my problem and you know some of your your problem Our problem is, is that while we reject intellectually the prosperity gospel, in many ways, practically, we live it out, especially in times of suffering. The prosperity gospel is this gospel that believes that if we do certain things, if we sow a seed or or believe the right thing, that everything is going to go our way and that God is like a a, a genie. If we rub him the right way, we're going to get what we want. We're going to get what we want. And it's paganism it's salvation by works. But sometimes we we, we believe that when we're suffering, um, that, that we're suffering perhaps because God didn't love us or because we're not doing something right on mission. And that's, that's not necessarily the case. And oftentimes it's not the case. Suffering leaves us in a perplexed way where we're end up asking questions like lord where am i and why is this happening and even the apostle paul found himself at that place in second corinthians chapter 4 verse 9 he he beautifully writes we are hard pressed on every side on every side he says no matter what we go or where we turn we find this pressure hard pressed on every side but not crushed perplexed but not in despair persecuted but not abandoned Struck down but not destroyed. Listen, this is the Christian life. It is a life that is marked by hardship. It is a life that is marked by pain. It is a life that is sometimes marked by confusion, but in the midst of the sea, uh, the seas of the storm, we are able to be buoyant. We are able to still delight. We are able to still have joy. We are able to have peace because we know. We know that Christ is with us and that this is a part of life and this is a part of the Christian mission. Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to sink you. He wants to get you to doubt God's love. He wants to get you to doubt your purpose. He wants you to get to to doubt your faith. And God is trying to remind you this morning of these truths. Third, that suffering is purposeful. Suffering is purposeful. In Romans chapter eight, verse 28 to 29, we read these words. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That every suffering, every pain, all things in our life will ultimately work out to our good. But here's the purpose for God knew his, his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. Some they should say to be conformed into the image of his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So God, in our suffering, in everything that we're going through, he has a purpose, and that purpose is to make us look like Jesus. So Christian means, Christians, that term first came in Antioch, and it was seen as a derogatory term. It was actually an insult that was given to the disciples. People were saying they're little Christ. They're little Christ. It's supposed to be a knock, and they're like, It caught on, right? And now we're like, we're Christians, right? Well, God is seeking to make us all become little Christ because Christ is so beautiful, so loving, so kind, so enduring. And he's saying, I want you to be the same way so that when people see your good works, they will glorify me in heaven. And sometimes to get us to that place, God pricks us and he takes us through. And that's the fourth characteristic of suffering. Suffering proves and purifies us. It proves and purifies us. It makes us look like Jesus, and ultimately that is is proving us. It's testing us. It's purifying us. It's refining us. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 8, this is Paul again. This is his theology. This is how he was able to bounce back up. This is how he was able to be buoyant in the midst of of a storm. He says this, he has a perspective, not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulation, knowing that the tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope. Now, this is mysterious to us. Many times we don't see how this is happening or is happening when we're going through. I know I don't. First thing I'm thinking when things are falling apart or unraveling uh, or seem to be unraveling in my life is not, oh, God is working endurance and God is working proven character and at the end of this is going to be hope. No, normally I'm like, Lord, what are you up to? Like, seriously, help your brother out, you know? But it's important that we remember that God, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of marital problems, in the midst of challenges with our kids, in the midst of friendships going awry, in the midst of struggling with singleness, in the midst of losing a job, in the midst of health issues, that God is at work. He is doing something. You know, it's like an oyster, okay? An oyster, uh, if the oyster gets sand in its shell, it is very painful, and it becomes an irritant. It becomes a thorn, and what the oyster does with that sand, it makes makes the oyster uncomfortable. But what the oyster does is it begins to coat over that sand. The pain is still there. The sand is still there. The suffering is still there, but it's coating over the sand. And once it's coated enough, you know what that sand becomes? It becomes a pearl. It becomes a pearl. And in the same way, God is doing that with, with our suffering. It is painful. It is irritating. It is, a, it is a thorn. But out of our pain, out of our hurt, there comes something that is valuable, something that is sometimes elegant, uh, something that we can look back to and say, look, God brought this about through this situation. And I just want to encourage you to remember that even in your, in your pain that there's a purpose, and that God is bringing out something that's beautiful. And we may not understand or see it on this side of heaven, but one day we will. Fifth, suffering ultimately points us to Jesus. He says, now I rejoice, Colossians one twenty four. This is the Apostle Paul again. This is how he's able to, to be so resilient. He says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. So as he is suffering, he's able to point this back to Christ, and he remembers ecclesiologically, or he thinks that we are the church. We are the church, and we're connected to Christ. We are his body, and we are filling up his afflictions, that there's a certain amount of affliction that has been ordained for Christ. And we are part of his body, and that is happening. And and he has such a Christocentric perspective, such a Christ-centered perspective when he's suffering. He doesn't disconnect his suffering from his Lord. He is often reminded that Christ too suffered, and he suffered for us, for the joy that was set before him. He suffered so that we might have life and life more abundantly. And our suffering should point us to Christ. But oftentimes what happens in our suffering is it it causes us, there's this temptation for us to go inward and for us to find our identity in what we're suffering. Your identity is not in your physical illness. Your identity is in Christ. Your identity is not in the state of your relationships, whether you're married or singled or divorced. Your identity is in Christ. Your identity is in not in whether or not you have a, a great job and you're at a certain economic level. Your identity is in Christ. And through suffering, we want to, when we're tempted to go inward and to define ourselves by that suffering and this only see through the lens of suffering, we want to pray to God and beg him and plead and remember Christ and to push outward and to look up, to remember that he too suffered for us and that he loves us. So here's some quick questions that I want to ask you as we think uh, deeply about our own suffering, as we think about the apostle Paul and how he was able to, to get up and be buoyant is this. When suffering comes, are you taking it upon yourself or holding it before the Lord? Are you taking it upon yourself or holding it, upon, uh, or holding it to the Lord? When suffering comes, do you hide it out of pride, not wishing others to help? pity or to come around you? Or do you tell people the truth about the pain and let people rally around you? And that's important to remember. Read through the Psalms. When the Psalms is the suffering, they're being real. God hadn't caused us to like, hide and to act like it doesn't stink and to not question him. Oh, there's a good anger and a bad anger. A bad anger is an anger that just questions God, that gets angry at God and that turns his back on God. A good anger is an anger that wrestles with those things, that takes those things before the Lord, but that ultimately knows that, that God is for us and he is our refuge. When suffering comes, does it become your identity? As I said, when suffering comes, does vices become your bomb, Or does the word of God? It's important to remember that as we go through. Now, there's three things I want you to remember as we think about suffering, as we think about the Apostle Paul as we reflect. Three things. First is this uh, that when we suffer, it's always an opportunity um, for us to accept the call to repent. Suffering is perplexed, and when we suffer, we're not always suffering because we have done something wrong. In fact, I would go and say for Christians, most of the times, it's not, not the case. But for some of the time, and for some of us, we're suffering because of decisions we've made, because of bad decisions that we've made, and we are, are, are kind of filling the weight of that because of a decision we made, and that's okay. We just want to make sure that we're taking that to the Lord and that we're repenting, that we're turning away from that sin and not wallowing in it, that we're finding Christ's forgiveness, and then we're, and then we're moving on. We're moving on. Second is a call to suffering community. Yesterday I had the... Opportunity to uh, go with some other pastors I was invited by another pastor to go with a member of our church, a couple who's suffering, Blake and Jenna, and they've been going through for for over two years, and it's just been a hard suffering. Um, it's one of those sufferings that just numbs you, and it just it just it sober[s] you. But we got together uh, with this couple to just pray and just to listen to their heart and just to take those things before the Lord. And the Lord, that's what He has allowed us to become a part of his body to do. And in Galatians chapter six, verse two, Paul calls us to bear one another's burdens. He hadn't called you to suffer alone. And for some of us, this is really hard because we have a very individualistic perspective and we, we have, we're very private. Um, perhaps it's because of the way we were raised or um, we think that there's more noble to suffer alone. But listen, I'm telling you, God has not called you to suffer alone. God has called you to suffer um, along with other believers, to allow them to help bear some of that burden, to allow them to come underneath you and help to gird you up as you suffer, to listen to you. And really, as we are ministering to those who are suffering, we want to remember that that's really the best thing we can do. Sometimes we have a tendency when someone is suffering and sharing with us to try to fix them or to point them to the Bible. Well, You know, Paul said that suffering is predictable. How are you surprised? And Paul said that it points to Christ. That's not the time to go through these five Ps. (laughs) Oh, that's the time to listen and to absorb and to bear, to listen deeply, to listen fully. And if the Spirit is calling you to gently point them to Christ, you do that. But let me tell you one of the most helpful advices I ever received as a pastor was from an older pastor when I first was pastoring, and he told me, hey, man, when you go and visit people, don't go trying to give them the right answer. Most of the time, your members, they know the right answer. Just go and be present with them. That's what I like in his text. Paul is surrounded by other disciples, and the text doesn't say what they said or what they did. They just surrounded them. I'm like, okay, what did they do? Was it like Mickey for Rocky? Get up, you bum. Right? Or what did they do? But it doesn't say. I remember ministering to a young lady who just went through a horrific time. She was just come to Christ, and then she was pregnant, and she had a stillbirth. I remember going to visit her at the hospital, and she was just angry and broken, as she should have been. And she, bra- she braided me with like 20 questions. Pastor, answer these questions. Answer these questions. Answer these questions. And old oh, Jamal would have tried to give her an answer but the Lord had grown me and matured me to the point of being able to absorb and just saying, sweetie, I don't know why this has happened. I'm so sorry for you. I just want you to know we are here for you. Later on, she reached back out to me and said that was the most helpful thing at that time. The Lord has called us to live in community and to be in community together to bear one another's burdens. And finally, it's a call to remain on mission. We see this with the apostle Paul in his text, that Paul remains on mission. He gets beat up. He doesn't allow that to hinder him. He goes on a long journey, some 70 or 80 miles after that to travel, but he doesn't give up. And some of us, we're going through so much suffering and so much pain that it's numbing you, and there's a temptation to give up. And from here on, you, you may be tempted to allow this moment to define you, to allow that divorce to define you. You may be divorced, but you are not dead. To allow your circumstance to define you, that is not who you are. Your identity is in Christ Jesus. Don't allow that to numb you for the rest of your life and to keep you from telling other people about his grace, about his mercy, about his goodness, about his faithfulness. You are his witness. And sometimes being his witness is telling people that life stinks right now, but God is faithful. Paul has his buoyancy and he's able to do that. And I just want to minister to some of our our listeners right now who are on the mission field and you feel burnt out you feel like giving up, that it is okay to take time to regroup. It is okay if the Lord is calling you to even return home and to refocus. But God has not called you to give up. God has not called you to give up on him. God has not called you to give up on his mission. God is for you, and this is just a page in your story, and God is going to use this for his kingdom purposes. You see, Peter picks up on this. He says, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. And that's what Paul does in his text. He hits a very rocky place. No pun intended. But he continues to do good. And that's what God is calling you to do. But undergirding all of this is, is, is love. It's love. Romans chapter 8, we read these. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. God is love, y'all. And God's love is not based upon our behavior. It's not based upon our ability to do. God's love is based upon his character. It is who he is. Because when we're suffering, Satan is trying to lie to us and tell us that he's not loving, that he doesn't care for us, or that we've done something so wrong that he is no longer in love with us, and he will always be in love with us. has an agapeo love, an agape love, an unconditional love, a passionate love, a love that goes far beyond human comprehension, and nothing can separate you from that love. Amen. It says neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither our fears today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will, be ever, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love is revealed in Jesus Christ. And whenever we doubt God's love and when we're in the sea and we're in the midst of the storm, we want to remember Jesus who said, peace be still. But we ultimately want to remember Jesus who took on the greatest storm that has ever came into humanity on his shoulders on the cross, and that is the storm of our sins. And he has delivered us from our past, present, and future sins. And in him, we are a new creation. We are his. He is ours. So in the midst of that storm, remember your anchor, and that is the cross of Jesus. He loved you enough to take on the deadliest storm of all. And he defeated that storm and rose on the third day with all power in his hand. And every Sunday when we gather, we gather to remember the goodness of Jesus, to remember his faithfulness, to face our tribulations, to look him in the eye and to say, tribulation, you do not define me. You will not sink me. My Lord defines me. He loves me and I will be okay. And we do this by taking communion on the night when Jesus was betrayed. He took bread and gave thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he lifted up a cup and he said, this cup represents uh, is my blood, which is shed for you. As often as you eat of this bread and drink. Of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Here at Sojourner, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. And as believers, we take this. This is a physical reminder every week that God is real and God is near and he is good to us. If you're not a believer, instead of taking communion, we want to invite you to take Christ. Communion is for those who are part of the family of Christ. Taking Christ means that you acknowledge That you are weak, that you are not strong, that you are a sinner, that your sin separates you from God, but that God loves you and he loved the world so much that he gave his son for you and that those who put their faith and trust in him will have eternal life. But I want to encourage you not to turn your back on God, but to run towards him, because those who do not accept God in this life will go to hell. Those of you who are in the front half of the room, come to the front. Those of you in the back half of the room, you go to the back. We have gluten free communion to my left. Let's pray.